Hi, I'm Benjamin Light. And I am Marco Sparks. And welcome to the inaugural episode of Headcanon, a podcast title we settled on because we couldn't think of a better one. What's this podcast going to be about, Marco? It's going to be us discussing individually movies in series, uh, kind of talking about parts of the whole, uh, part by part, starting with Harry Potter. Yes, this is going to be a podcast about kind of film film franchises with serialized narratives, I guess you could say. Uh, so we're going to be looking at kind of the the big universes. We're doing Harry Potter now in the future. I'm sure we'll do the Marvel movies at some point. Uh, we might do something like the Scream movies, for instance. Um, lots of opportunities out there for, for various franchises. Kind of our, you know, our modern myths. Mm-hmm. We thought it would be fun to talk about them, do an episode on each one of the movies. And so we're going to start off with the eight Harry Potter movies. And today we're starting with the first one, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, a.k.a. the Philosopher's Stone for anyone outside the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we begin, I mean, we kind of have a little bit of a format. Uh, I should say we're going to kind of get into our kind of overall opening statement thoughts, top three moments, some some lowlights, talk about the world building, various stray musings and, uh, you know, source material discussion and get into like some character power rankings towards the end. But before we do that, because this is the first time we're talking about Harry Potter, it seems like it would be useful for people to know kind of what, what our relationship with this franchise is. Uh, because I think it matters when you, when you talk about these things, like what, you know, like if we hated the books, then that that's relevant information, you know? Mm. Uh, so what is your relationship with the Harry Potter franchise? Uh, I was very resistant for a long time. Um, I don't know why. And then uh, partially because I worked in the library, I came to appreciate the levels of literacy. It was driving up in children. Um, and then I never I never read the books except for the last one. I read their last book, like right when it came out. But uh, one day at work, I, I, I blew off responsibilities and I just kind of watched the first two movies. And there was enough there that was interesting, though I did not love them uh, about they, when would you say that was in the, the kind of timeline of the franchise like were most of the movies out by that point or so i think uh goblet of fire had come out i was it was before mm. um order of the phoenix the movie yeah because i remember going to see order of the phoenix in the theater mm-hmm. okay um but yeah, this, i mean i watched these on vhs um mm-hmm. and then i i remember watching the third one you know and it was uh, it was my first uh, exposure to that director, and and also just that these movies could be good. <laughs> <laughs> so you did watch them in order, though. I did watch them in order, yeah. Okay, and you've I, only I, read the last book. I only read the last book, like you know, like right after it came out, or right when it came out. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that is Marco, me, Benjamin. Uh, my kind of relationship with the franchise. I was. In my youth, I, I definitely, like, I'd, I'd heard about these books, and I, I heard about them being compared to the Lord of the Rings books, which were you know, some of my favorite books. And as a, a 19, 20-year-old, I think I was very arrogant about it. I was just like, there's no way those books, like, some stupid book called Harry Potter about, like, this kid with, like, these dorky glasses shouldn't even be in the same sentence as Lord of the Rings. as you know, very kind of, like, stupid in my youth about it, and resisted uh, just paying attention to them entirely, uh, you know. I, didn't even see the trailer for most of these movies, probably. Uh, as time went on, I 
begin to kind of get the feeling that I was wrong because they seem to have staying power. Like they didn't go away like a fad, like I thought they would. Um, so eventually I was like, you know what? I should probably read these books. It's, it sounds like they're for real. But at that point, I think probably like four or five of the movies were out. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to wait until all the movies are out. And then I, I'm just going to like binge the whole thing, read all the books, watch all the movies. And, you know, it's like a, a rare opportunity to do that. Usually that doesn't happen where you can just do the whole thing at once. Um, and so I waited until not long before the Deathly Hallows part two movie came out. I read all of the books over like 17 days, watched all the movies. Uh, it was kind of a crazy download of information and they're excellent. Um, part of me wishes I'd read them earlier, but I think it was also really fun to just, you know, take them all in at once like that. I remember, uh, back during your period of not, not approving of them, you had read some article and called me and you were like, so basically what I gather, it's just a story of this like dumb magical jock. <laughs> it kind of friends. is. Yeah. <laughs> um, they are all good. There's something worthy in all these movies. I feel like we're going to talk some shit about the first one. Um, <laughs> and especially about Chris Columbus, especially compared to, you know, like Horon. Well, let's let's get into our opening statements here because it sounds like you're making one. Um, yeah, I mean, this is like you know, pilot part two, but uh, we there's some there's some flaws here. There's some you know like forest of the trees filmmaking, uh, world building. I mean, the effects, as Chris Columbus has said, are not great in a lot of places, which is not the most important thing. Um, also, you have three untested child actors. Uh, Radcliffe is basically a poster up until he gets angry. That's like <laughs> the one emotion he can do. Um, I don't think that we're seeing the full, uh, range of how awesome like Emma Watson is. Rupert Grint's basically like a gif. His face is just a spastic motion of rubber. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of things that I feel like perhaps these particular set of movie makers didn't know what all they had on their on their hands yeah i think they were still you know it's still it's very new it's gestation the gestational period um and it's always kind of dangerous i think too when um like jk rowling tells alan rickman uh certain things that like maybe the director doesn't know i mean <laughs> I, it's it's all performance but at the same time i feel like maybe chris columbus there's a lot of things he just didn't know and so um in talking about this in various scenes you know you, you'll hear me say like uh like man i really wish terry gilliam had directed this or uh you know i wish they kind of wish they had gone with like spielberg's original ideas or things mm. like that um but i mean it's it's a worthwhile movie it's just it's it's for an adventure romp for children it's i like its pace for the most part it takes its time it sets up mood and then it just hurries up and and, and rushes through what could have been the really interesting earned moments at the end. All right. Well, I, I hope that over the port course of this podcast, I can convince you to read the books because I feel like for me, I, I kind of view the Harry Potter movies as like visual companions to the novels. They don't totally feel like self-contained films to me. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, this movie, I want to give Christopher Columbus some credit because there's so much work that he's doing in this movie mm -hmm. uh, literal like foundation pouring you know like building the sets to like set up the rest of the franchise there's so much exposition he has to cover mm -hmm. it almost seems like they needed two directors like one to handle all that and then one to focus just on the performances 
because there's so much in this movie that just feels very like deliberate and clunky and like maybe that's because it's for a young audience and they wanted it to be a little more obvious but i kind of feel like like the the production overwhelmed some of like the the quieter moments that they you know they just kind of bowled right on through right um it it just seems like there was so much going on and you know so much is focused on the the visual aspect because i mean to me if 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 you read the books the real core of the story is you want to identify with harry's longing for a family you know like his his original tragedy is kind of like at the core uh, and I don't know that the movie really does a great job with that. Uh, it didn't really emotionally resonate with me the way the books did. Mm. I mean, I, I w- I'm not a particularly sentimental person, as I think you would agree. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the, the novels are they're heartwarming in a way that really transcends the whole genre. Um, I, I mean, they're reading the books. It's like it's like hot chocolate and grilled cheese by a fire on a cold rainy day. Like, that's how the books feel when you read them. And it feels good reading them. Uh, and the movies seem so focused on making sure that they're bringing the whole wizarding world to life visually that I feel like it's just missing some of the heart. I'm not saying it's like completely heartless or anything, but it just doesn't have that same vibe that the book has, which I realize books are, you know, have a lot more opportunity to kind of like explore stuff like that. But the movies are a mostly visual feast, I feel like. The magical power of the uh, the movie, or the 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 magical power that the movie thinks it has, is one of creative license. Mm-hmm. Um, but perhaps more strongly than than is necessary at times. Well, I we'll get into this when we get later into the series. But these books, I mean, there's adaptation jo- choices made and stuff they cut out, but they get most of the book more or less in there, like much more than in the later books, where they obviously have to cut out a ton for the you know length of the movie mm-hmm. and these first two like they practically include everything they can they don't really have to make as many choices as they do in the later movies mm-hmm. well and the books are at a length at this point that it's easier to do yeah that. yeah that's what like, i'm book, saying like like book four they excise like whole storylines for characters right doesn't, doesn't like hermione suffer we'll get that i guess yeah um, so uh well let's those are our kind of opening statements i mean it's like I said, like I'm, I'm such a big fan of the books that the movie is always just kind of seemed like a visual companion to me. It's, it's hard to really think of it as a movie on its own. I, I kind of wonder sometimes, like, what do people think who haven't read the books? Like, does this all make sense to them? I, I guess it does in your case. Yeah, I mean, uh, for all, for all the potential faults of it, I mean, I, I got the gist of the story. This, the movie set up what I needed to take away from the individual movie. And it gave me the world in a sense. I mean, the world building was there. I felt like to the point where, you know, when we get to the second movie, you'll hear my mm-hmm. frustrations with rebuilding the same parts of the world that I've already seen the architecture mm, okay. of. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, let's get into our top three moments. I kind of thought this would be a good way to kick off because I don't, I don't want to just be like negative, you know, because there's a lot to like here. So we wouldn't talk about the movie if we didn't enjoy the movie or the yeah. series. Uh, that's the point. Um, we, so, we, we're not going to do a grand hate watch of something. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, we each, we each picked, tried to pick three moments that we wanted to highlight. Uh, I guess we can trade off to one at a time. You want to go first? Sure. Uh, I wonder if we have any of the same ones. This will be fun. I don't know what you have picked. There is one that I, I, I'm i going to leave to last only because I'm going to assume that you, you got it. And there's hmm. another one I'm pretty sure you got. So the first one is the, the essential setup of the, the journey into the forest with like Hagrid, Harry, Ron, Hermione, and, and uh, Draco. Mm-hmm. Only because that's that's just great 
economy of characters like you need to have these three characters and their antagonists in the in the dark dark woods you know and then there's a hooded creature drinking the blood of a unicorn like a vampire like that's 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 great storytelling i feel like now it's ruined i think once the fucking like uh centaur shows up and <laughs> oh i have notes about that guy later drops yeah. massive bombs of exposition and, mm-hmm. and seemingly defeats the whole secretive nature of hogwarts because he knows a fuck of a lot of what's going on in that castle mm-hmm um but like the initial idea i i when we were rewatching this i was like this is this is brilliant like you should get these four characters and they're like weird dumb hobo you know teacher friend uh, not even a teacher like a groundskeeper friend like joining them out in the woods i don't know it's it's good storytelling to me like i said okay uh well one of my top three here and these are in no particular order i should say um you may have this on your side but just the introduction of Hermione, uh, easily my favorite character in the series. Uh, she shows up and she's like immediately better than everyone and like super fun. Uh, and just her line, she's like, you've got dirt on your nose, by the way. Did you know? Yeah. Uh, she's just so prissy. And uh, I, don't know, I love it. I love her character. Well, it's like you could tell that this that this young lady loves like facts and figures and, and learning and she's smart and people give her shit about it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like that intellect almost becomes her armor too. And so she, she is this way just to kind of protect herself. And they really set up like the heat between her and Ron, like from the very beginning. Do they? Cause they, half the time it feels like they're setting it up between her and Harry. Well, this is, this is the funny thing about the difference between the books and the movies is that you really felt like the people making these movies were like Harry Hermione shippers. Mm-hmm. And the, the books, like if you read the books, it is clear, like from, right from the beginning that like this was probably always in jk rowling's mind yeah that these two are going to get together like she's she's much more interested in ron it seems like in the books than in the movies yeah th- in retrospect you you really see that um so my second scene of course has to be the moment with harry and dumbledore like their first real conversation uh the mirror Vera said the mirror Vera said uh just because it gets to the heart of Harry's journey, like you said, and the loss of his parents and, and Dumbledore, you know, letting him know you can acknowledge that, but like you really can't spend the rest of your life staring in front of a mirror of, of your fondest mm-hmm. desires. Um, also, it's just it's strange going back and rewatching this movie because this is one of my my least watched of the movies mm-hmm. and seeing how little Dumbledore is in this and how much he directly affects Harry. And it you know, obviously becomes so much different later on. But that's I thought that was a really like touching, important scene that. It really gives you a lot. Obviously, it also sets up the ending. Yeah, I like that scene. I'm not a huge fan of the performance, but yeah, I do. I do like the idea of the scene. Well, Richard Harris it was like ten years too old for for this this role. Obviously, uh, plus I feel like he was just cast to look like the wizard on the cover of the books. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we talked before, like. Michael Gambon really brings a sassiness that's much more appreciated to this role. Oh, man, I can't wait to talk about Azkaban. I mean, I, I'm going to hold off till then, but I have so many thoughts. I cheated and I watched half of it last night. I, I looked ahead because <laughs> it's that much good, but better. All right. Uh, so my next top three moments here, uh, I'm going to say the Quidditch match. I think it works way better than you'd ever expect it to. Okay. I mean, as, as a sport, it makes like no sense at all. But no. I think like of all the effects, I mean, it still has, a, you know, it's obviously made in like the early 2000s, but it's way better than a lot of the other effects. Um, and I don't know, it just work. I mean, sports work on film, especially, you know, a sport like this, like, you know, it's easy to follow. There's like an ebb and flow. 
Um, and it's, I don't know. It's a good moment. Although it does like at the very end when he like, when he wins and he's like, you know, in the, everyone's cheering for him as he's in the middle of the field. Like that goes on for like too long. Like they need to cut that a little sooner. Cause it's like, it's like you got a young actor there. Like you're asking him to like, look happy for a long time as the camera pans around him. But overall, is- I think the, the quitch match works really well. And that happiness, that is not one of Daniel Radcliffe's like patented emotions that he emotes. Uh, it's great, like weird CGI in that that mm-hmm. pan, or that, that circling around like like glory shot. I uh, mean, if I had to guess, I would say that like they probably spent more time on Quidditch than some of the other effects in this movie. Yeah, yeah, some of the other ones, like wow, that is dodgy. Well, sports, much like just the school nature, really works for storytelling because it's, mm-hmm. it sets up like your social orders and your passions of your students, and it puts it in a, in a format that we've all accepted, even if we don't go to British boarding schools. Uh, <laughs> but why don't they have more characters, like, like or more more people on the team, like being seekers? Like that seems like where we'll, it's at. We'll get to that, yeah, in our world building discussion. I have, I have many uh, questions about Quidditch. Uh, just in general, like. The my third scene would be like the introduction to Hogwarts, um, just because I, I think that that shot was there, you know, in the boats coming across. Like that's that really sets up like the gothic potential nightmare that is this castle. Mm-hmm. And I love that they do it at night with all the lights and stuff. And I, I've mentioned before, like you could score certain parts of this movie like much differently, and it'd be a whole different movie. But uh, especially after like the Dickensian nightmare of the Dursleys, I was so glad to you know 40 mm-hmm. minutes in they finally get harry to hogwarts and like start this journey and he becomes like a whole other person yeah 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 uh so my last moment here is just a, a snape moment obviously uh it's near the end when they've they've just gone to warn mcgonagall about uh you know they're looking for dumbledore but dumbledore's gone and now they're freaked out and they go out into the hallway and, and they're talking about, you know, what are they going to do? And Snape just like sidles up behind them mm-hmm. and like just the way he kind of like moves right in and like he just does his like Snape thing or it's just like, you know, slow delivery. Like, what are you kids up to? And it's just like he just stares at them. Uh, I love Snape. Like Snape, Alan Rickman, he he crushes it so hard as Snape. He's this movie doesn't work without Snape and it's. It's it's like even in just, you know, he's been in like maybe three or four scenes in the movie at this point and he just walks up behind them and he's so well established himself, at, you know, with that few appearance on screen. He's he's so well established already that like just his presence works. So, you know, it's, it's doing so much by itself. Just mm-hmm. just him being there makes you like nervous and you feel it, you know, it, it improves the other actors performances just with him being around. His like gothic sensitive art school kid delivery, <laughs> like like the arrested development of that is so fast because that's the one I think I was before we recorded. I was trying to remember the line like, "Your people should be careful. My people might think you're up to something." And he does like <laughs> those like Bill Hader stuff on things where he's like he'll just like start touching his neck, like and like almost like pause and like mouth hangs open. But Harry like decides that he that he thinks Steph or. Uh, Steph, they think Snape is like guilty of something just in the first time he sees him. Mm-hmm. Like, who the fuck is that guy? He's obviously evil. <laughs> yeah, that hair. <laughs> well, just oh, just the the facial expression Snape pulls off. It's it's so great. I mean, you you instantly both hate and love the guy. Yeah, he's yeah. like a clear antagonist. But like, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm older. But like, I can't help rooting for Snape, even though he's a total bastard. Well, 
it's the first time he teaches the potions class where he just comes charging in like it's the most mm. urgent thing in the world and then he gets to the podium and he just like pauses <laughs> i just love the way he's always like fast forwarding and then rewinding yeah. uh, all right so those are the moments we liked uh we might as well discuss the low lights here uh one i already mentioned the, the dodgy effects like there are places in this movie where it looks like an 80s film mm-hmm. like it's it's really weird like Parts of this movie look like it was made in like the early 2000s with the kind of like trying a little too hard, not quite there yet CGI. And the other parts just look like they're out of like an 80s Spielberg movie where it's like all like obvious, like kind of clunky sets and practical effects. Like it's right. bizarre to, to see all those styles mixed together. Like like Spielberg just went straight from Goonies to this. Um, yeah, it's hard to believe this is only like 14 years ago. Mm hmm. Um, 15 years since the cast was announced. Uh, one of the scenes that I you have to talk well, just the last half an hour is so rushed and and such a, a letdown. Like from the wizard's chest thing, the way they they maybe didn't have it's the like, money. It's like did you run out of time or budget? Like yeah, yeah. just the the constant like barrage of like just things exploding and like Ron's pointing and yelling things, and it's like that could have been a very interesting scene. Well, um, all the traps really. It feels like. What I kept thinking of was the the scene in the Goonies where they had to play the bones. Uh-huh. Like that has like a little sequence, like totally works. And it, you wanted these traps to feel like that, like the, like a, a real sense of danger and like a, a requirement to be clever to move on. And it, but instead, it it feels like totally perfunctory. It's like they're just like rushing through to get to the end of the movie. Yeah. Well, like it's just like, oh yeah, we need that key that's flying. We'll just get on this broom and grab it. There we go. Well, because that's, like, that's Harry's thing. Is he's just yeah. really good at flying on brooms and stuff. But it didn't feel, I don't know, satisfactory. Like, they cut out the part from the book with the potion test, which would have been a good opportunity for Hermione to kind of, like, show her cleverness. Um, mm-hmm. It just th- seemed like they just, like, are oh, just going to rush through this to get to the end. Well, even just the, the rush nature of, like, the uh, like HR Geiger version of the uh, trash compactor scene from Star Wars, where, like, the black gooey tentacles and... Mm-hmm. That's the one where you said that they gave Hermione some of Ron's lines, right? Yeah, Ron's stands are, are not happy with his portrayal in the movies because a, a lot sometimes uh, Hermione will get some of his stuff. Like I think in the book, Hermione is the one who panics, but in the movie, it's Ron, mm. and so like things like that bother them because, uh, especially if you mostly watch the movies, I feel like Ron is not your favorite character. Like I, I can see why people who like Ron are, are annoyed at the movies because. Although, in my opinion, he still comes off like it showed in the books, too. But he's better, at least, in the books than he is in the movies. Well, so, yeah, like, uh, I guess when J.K. Rowling met Steve Cloves, who who did the adaptation of the script, like, uh, and he said, you want to know who my favorite character is? And in her head, she's thinking, like, if this asshole says Ron, like, this meeting's over. And he's like, (laughs) Hermione. And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, you got the job. (laughs) I have a, a good friend of mine. Ron is her favorite character. Which blows my mind, but her her reasoning is that Ron is kind of he's he's I don't want to say the Zeppo, but like he's not the smart one. He's not the uh, the big jock hero. He's just the the regular dude, and that's who she identified with. Doesn't he become the big jock hero later? For like briefly, uh. possibly with Hermione's help. Um, <laughs> so another another nitpick here. I'm not a huge fan of the score. the The main theme is fine. Uh-huh. And not not complaining about that, but there are a lot of times just the kind of uh, the the basic score you have to get, you know, from scene to scene. It reminded me a little too much of Attack of the Clones. 
Okay. But like, cause you know, John Williams was doing that around the same time he was doing this and it just, it didn't, it sounded way too similar. It kind of seems like maybe John Williams is like, not, I don't want to say running out of ideas, but like not trying too hard to differentiate. Right. I, you know, yeah, none of it really stood out for me. It was all pleasant. It was all, I felt like the, the accomplished score of, of a guy knows what he's doing. Um, the only musical cue throughout the movie where I really thought, oh, I, I kind of like this. It works for this scene in particular was there's a quick cue that he does as they're first going into the forest. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's why before I've joked like various times, like imagine this scene, but set to the soundtrack of like Suspiria. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, the score for these movies is hard. But yeah, going back going back to, to Ron real quick, like I'll say this for Ron though, like you can you can get Ron a lot easier. Harry it's hard to get in Harry's head other than just like the 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 pretty standard emotions he feels over the loss of his parents. Cause like during the whole but I feel like they don't get into that enough with Harry though. I mean that oh, is I... that is it's not easy to do that with a child actor in a movie with all this other stuff going on at once, but I feel like that is what's missing. Well, like during the whole like Dursley's nightmare of those garbage people, like he's on a pretty fucking even keel. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And like we're always amazed because like they gave him glasses and stuff. I mean, I get that the kid would go to anger a lot because he probably has been saving quite a bit of it up. Mm-hmm. That might even to be like the source of his his magic and not love. I don't know. Well, that is in in the books. It's established that whenever he was like angry or upset or scared, that's Shit when happens. he would accidentally make magic happen. So it's 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 there like it, it should be in the performance but it seems like that's at this point that's what dana radcliffe is is best and maybe only good at that's when snakes get out and like eat mm-hmm. gobble up like field trips yeah yes yeah, speaking of the acting another one of my nitpicks there's a lot of whisper acting in this movie mm-hmm. and i feel like it's a, a style that was popularized around the time by uh M. Night Shyamalan, uh, is that how you pronounce his name? Uh, M. Night, that guy in The Sixth Sense, I feel like really, really like brought this to the forefront, especially with child actors, like whisper everything. Uh, I can't stand that style of acting. It doesn't work for me. Uh, like uh, one of Dumbledore's scenes, like I, I was going to put it in my top moments until I rewatched it. And I was just like, man, I hate the delivery. You know, like I like the content. I hate the way he's delivering it by like whispering everything. It just... To me, it seems kind of hacky. Uh, mm. I feel like there there are better ways of communicating kind of a, a solemnness without whispering. Well, going from that, I think one of the issues, and I could go on a whole lot, a long time, you know, I'll try not to, but like it's it's a hard mixture though when you have so many untested child actors mm-hmm. with these these classic scenery-chewing British thespians who just want to whisper and then scream and spit and just well, like the, like devour all the scenery they can possibly get. It really didn't seem like Chris Columbus was directing the older actors at all. Like it just seemed like they were doing whatever they wanted to do. Yeah, well I mean I I don't think he dared get in like John Hurt's way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even even Richard Griffiths. Like Richard Griffiths is so like hammy and and it works for a child's movie setting up that kind of like cartoonish horror that harry lives in um and is it fiona shaw just like kind of like sneers her way Mm -hmm. through that entire first half an hour but yeah i don't i don't think any real direction or or limitations were imposed on those actors (laughs) at all and and it works for times like maggie smith she she does just the exact right amount i have to say 
I think they miscast Ginny. And to be fair, maybe it's just the way she's written. And I mean, this is going to come up more in the later movies, of course. But it, she just doesn't seem like a Ginny to me. Ginny, uh, I really like Ginny in the in the books, even though she's underwritten in them as well. But she just seems completely blah. Um, obviously, she hasn't. She has nothing to do in this movie. She'll be in later movies to you know. We can talk about that then, but I feel like right from the start they they missed on Ginny. Doesn't she just say like good luck? Yeah, she says good luck basically. So what happened to Susan Bones? Where did she go after this? I don't know. Um, one of my other nitpicks just says Ron seems a bit Weasley for a Gryffindor. Oh well. I mean, kind of right. He's supposed to be brave, but uh, I guess he he finds it in the mm-hmm. wizard's chest. It's like he, he something he can actually do. Plus, Ron is like the turd almost at the end of the family line there and it's not it's not a it's not a great family line as it is if you are a ron fan sorry <laughs> yeah you're gonna hate us and you're gonna secretly love us because we're gonna give you something you ron fans to finally defend <laughs> yeah uh none of the ghosts in this movie they kind of just feel like a plot device i mean in the books too the ghost dolls are just kind of like i don't know I, I never felt like they added much no, they're just, they're just exposition gossips. And Pease was just annoying to me in the books. He's not even in this, I don't think. Oh, they um, filmed scenes of Rick Mayall, I think. They yeah, just didn't use him. They didn't use him. Uh, Fred. There's a bit late where, like, suddenly Harry is just like, wait a minute, like, Hagrid, where'd you get that dragon egg from? It, like, with no prompting at all. It's like, they're like, we need to put this plot point in here to move the story along. Like, it just seems really awkward. Like, maybe there's, like, a scene cut or I don't know what. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, I feel like every other time we talk about Harry Potter, we say this, and we haven't this time, oddly enough. Our version of Harry Potter would, chapter one, be Harry's the chosen one, this is his backstory, blah, blah, blah. Chapter two, he meets Hermione. She's then the star mm-hmm. of the, the series from that point on. Yeah, sure, Harry's the, the prophesized chosen one, fine. But, like, he's also kind of a dunce, unless magically, like, something enters his head, like, Oh, Hagrid's always wanted a dragon egg, and somebody gave him a dragon egg. Ah. And I, I feel like I want Hermione to be like, Harry, I've been saying that for months. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, I feel like the ending is pretty anticlimactic. Uh, it's like the villain gives the reveal, and then they just like melt, and the ghost, uh, or, you know, the shade of Voldemort just like flies through Harry, and he falls down in slow motion. It's like, I, I realize a lot of that's from the book, but not a great way to like build to a climax of a movie it's like that's what you got and that's it he just faints yeah great it's it's got to be so hard to have like a satisfying ending to your chapter one mm-hmm. you know i mean like well especially you know you're adapting a novel that's very episodic but you have to force it into a three-act structure right i mean like the ending of like phantom menace where it's just like well i guess there's these these two bad guys out there mm-hmm Oh, well, you know, I want everyone to be like, I'm a little more freaked out than that, guys. Yeah. All right. Let's get into a discussion of some world building here. This this is a a big, fun world to play in, the the wizarding world. What I want to know, first of all, is this. Does everyone get into Hogwarts who is magical? Or is there, like, do you have to apply? Was Harry, Harry a legacy admission? Like, how many, how big is the wizarding world? Well, they don't they don't establish it in this one. I mean, uh, they don't really establish it for several movies in the series, and then until like now they're doing like the quote unquote prequels. But like, mm-hmm. 
that there are other wizarding schools out there in the world. It seems like this is the only one in London, though. Or in England, yeah. Yeah, or in England, yeah. Um, But, like, I mean, how many kids would you say are in Harry's class? Like, I don't know, a few hundred? Like, total? Oh, I mean, no. I mean, in the school, I mean. In the school, yeah, maybe, maybe... Maybe like five hundred at the most. It seems like in in his first year class, there's like maybe shit like eighty, if that. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't seem super big. I don't know. These are the things I wonder about watching the movie. Like, does everybody get into Hogwarts? Is it possible that like I don't know? They're just like you're not quite magical enough, or maybe you didn't apply. Like I don't know. Like I, I wonder how that works. I did see that recently. Uh, J.K. Rowling said that anyone like that there, you don't have to pay to go to Hogwarts. It's like paid for by the ministry or something. So at least that base is covered. Hmm. The Ministry of Magic. Mm-hmm. That just seems like such a an interesting archaic organization. Mm-hmm. What does uh What does Ron's dad do for them again? Uh, like magical accountant. No, he. Um, I'm trying to think of the name, but he. He's in charge of uh, keeping like something to do with muggles. I should really look this up, but he basically is in charge of like uh, keeping like artifacts, like magical like items, away from the muggles. I think something of that nature. Okay, okay. Um, we went on a whole tangent on this before, but uh, uh, like <laughs> I just lost my train of thought. Because mm-hmm. I was just thinking about their whole fucking magicking world. Oh, all of it. Okay, like, he's uh, uh, he works in the misuse of Muggle artifacts office. That's what he does. Of Muggle artifacts. Yeah. So basically, like bewitching Muggle items to do magical things. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, like Ollivander's whole business model. Yes. Yes, I I have many questions about the economics. That's actually I have a whole fan theory that I'll I'll throw out at the end of this. But I have, I have a lot of questions about the economics of uh, Hogwarts or the Wizarding World in general. Okay, well, in Diagon Alley seems to be fifty percent pubs, fifty percent people in pointy hats like selling chickens. I mean, it seems like magical Chinatown to a certain degree. Well, like if Ollivander's selling like one wand to you, maybe like two or three wands in your lifetime, mm-hmm. how does he stay in business? Like if if you have a class of like 80, 80 kids a year need a new wand, plus you know like he has some turnover from other people out in the wizarding world who need new wands. Like, is that enough to stay in business? Does is there like a warranty that he upsells you on? Yeah, really. I well, don't know. And, they don't and, they don't tell you how much Harry's wand costs, at least in the first book. I'm, I've been trying to figure that out to, to do some calculations on, on how much things cost in the wizarding world. Well, the whole magical medieval currency where like seemingly they pay for shit in like straight up gold coins. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. Like let's let's hold thing. off on that because I got a whole thing on that. <laughs> okay. You're just going to get annoyed by how dorky I get. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like. Mm-hmm. I feel like everyone is drastically overpaying for every. I would rather, if I was a wizard, I'd rather go back into the Muggle world where I can spend like a dollar fifty on a hot dog rather than mm-hmm. like a, here's a satchel of gold coins for some mead. Yeah. Um. So if Harry can get his glasses fixed, why can't he just get magical LASIK? 
Yeah, really. Like those glasses cause him so much trouble throughout the story. Uh, in this, you know, in this, in the future books and movies to come. I mean, uh, Hermione gets her teeth shrunk in one of the books. Mm-hmm. You would think they would have some sort of spell that could fix your glasses. I mean, it's always a little hand wavy. I know with the uh, like what can and can't be changed mm-hmm. type stuff, but you would think they could fix his eyes. Well, so yeah, I guess to be sticklers to the book, they they initially tried to give Radcliffe uh, like green contact lenses mm-hmm. and tried to give fake teeth to Emma Watson. She couldn't talk and he couldn't see, so they they dropped that from the movie. Yeah. Thank fuck. But oh, I, like I mean, like it seems like. Not everyone, even at Hogwarts, even among the faculty, is all that great of a magician as it is. So I don't know mm-hmm. who I'd actually want pointing the wand at my eyeball. Well, Dumbledore, of course. Uh, well, I, I should say, uh, as we discuss these world world building questions, obviously, as as we said at the beginning of this, we're not really like like I don't know if you can say members of the fandom or whatnot, but like we're not super familiar with the Harry Potter fandom world. So it's possible that many of these questions have been answered by J.K. Rowling or in other sources. So uh, definitely feel free to let us know if uh, we're being idiots and we have something we're missing something or getting something wrong. Because that that kind of stuff interests me. I've like I know that there's this whole fandom for Harry Potter out there, but I'm not at all connected to it like I am for say like Star Wars. So I'm I'm curious I, uh... about a lot of this stuff. I wonder if they'll ever release like uh, a collection of like her various tweets where she mm-hmm. like, clarifies these things. Like, I think there's supposedly like an encyclopedia rumored. But, like, the, the whole the whole like backstory behind like Dumbledore's relationship and like just the fact that they released what was, or she said on Twitter the other day that Hagrid can't do certain spells because he's just not that good or not mm-hmm. that smart. Like I would. He's also not to, loud. Yeah, I just I would love like a well Hagrid breaks. You can't do magic out in the real world. Hagrid does that. He fucking mm-hmm. gives the kid a tail. Well, technically, he was allowed to use magic to find Harry. Was he allowed to give the kid a tail? <laughs> I, I I don't think it's in the movie, but in the book, he's just like, hey, between you and me, let's just uh, keep that on the DL. Yeah. Not, you know, don't mention that. Um, um, <laughs> I also, also want to know, do they have insurance of any kind at Hogwarts? Because a lot of crazy shit happens at this school. Well, people can disappear. No one's hardly anyone's died playing mm-hmm. Quidditch for a while. Some people just disappear for a few months. Well, they're just like, "Hey, you first year students, we're just gonna fly on brooms today, and like this kid's gonna fly all over the place and fall and like break his arm or whatever." Like, I, I mean, I guess when everything's magical, maybe you don't need insurance. You just heal them up. But I'm amazed they don't get more complaints from parents. Right. But well, maybe the idea is that the parents don't really know what's going on there. Well, I love. The look and the name of the character, Madam Hooch, who is a Madam fucking Hooch. who fucking terrible teacher. We're like doesn't yeah, know how to awful. manage. Kids. manage she doesn't kids. know how to referee. Right. But doesn't know also, how to run a class. Is there a professor who's just like, hey, all the other exciting subjects are real other teachers. I'm just going to teach you basic math. <laughs> or like today we're just going to read a novel. <laughs> I know there's a history of magic class that you never see. It's taught what? by ghosts. <laughs> I mean, like, are these kids? There's astronomy. Are they working on their non-magical vocabulary? Yeah, I mean, I you know, think like, there a professor who's like, let's just diagram a sentence today. It's like all the wizards out there have like a, a sixth grade math level, basically. Well, you never like really... Algebra like algebra is still a mystery to them. Yeah, yeah. You never really get like... There are other systems and rules for magic and other like, like you know, sci-fi and fantasy book series and stuff. Mm-hmm. Seemingly 
in Harry Potter, it involves items and wands and like goofy phrases that are kind <laughs> of bastardizing Latin, you know? Um, well, in the, in the later books, they learn to do uh, like silent castings too. Okay. Yeah. But, and it's it's all very hand wavy as it needs to be, and then they kind of stick of it like you have to maintain eye contact for some of mm-hmm. this stuff. Um, I like I like the way that they do the mystery as far as tying Quirrell to Snape. I think like from from a production standpoint, they do a good job of like Snape being your red herring. Um, yeah, yeah, and Quirrell's always there, and it's like. For the for the young audience, when you go back and you can you can have that genuine like, oh, it was there all along moment, you know, kind of, yeah. This this mumbling like guy dressed like God, he's friend. Yeah, he he won't touch Harry. He won't shake Harry's hand when they're first introduced. So there's your clue. That Harry will melt him. You have to enter Diagon Alley through a bar. Yeah, I think that tells you a lot about magic. So we were talking about Quidditch earlier. Like the Golden Snitch seems totally op. Like you get that you win the game unless like the the other team is just like insane at scoring with the uh, the quaffles. Well, because the southern team is basically the Oakland Raiders. Yeah. But so like we were wondering, could you have more than one? Per- like is only the seeker allowed to catch the snitch or could you just say like, you know what? We're only going to have one beater and the other ones is going to be a seeker, too. You know, like, is that allowed or like, I don't know. I wonder what the rules are on that, because it seems like. Because that golden snitch is basically you win or you lose if you get it. Having more than one seeker would really help. Well, you know, and they kept saying, okay, whoever gets this automatically wins. And then they would say it's it's worth 150 points. Yeah. So then I wonder. The game ends and you get 150 points. So that's like a, a really big swing there. Yeah. I was just wondering, though, like, what if what if I had scored my other team had scored 16 goals? You know, which worth ten points each. Oh, that's what happens in the Quidditch World Cup. Okay. Yeah the 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 guy he catch the is Victor Crumb. He catches the the seeker, but they end up losing by like ten points because the okay. other team is so far ahead. Okay. Well, good. But yeah, I I wonder what the rules are on that. Like, there's there's opportunity for a, like a you know a Bill Belichick type uh, Quidditch coach to be like, we're throwing the the old playbook out the window. We're gonna try something different. Just let them score. We're going after the seeker or the the golden snitch. It would seem to make a lot of sense, especially considering how much it's not frowned upon for spectators to do magic mm-hmm. directly. In, like there is a lot of cheating going on in Quidditch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like there's a there's like a Kobayashi Maru like hidden rule where it's like if if you can find a loophole via mm-hmm. cheating. We'll allow it because Madam Hooch has already wandered off. Like, yeah, we're not even really sure what the referee does in a Quidditch game. Uh, and how many games are really played throughout the year at, at Hogwarts? Because you only have I like think they four have, teams. They all play each other. Okay. There's no playoff, but they all play each other. And then I'm sure there's some sort of tiebreaker based on points or something. Does that, do the games, does that affect the like uh, House Cup stuff? I'm not 100% sure. I don't think so. I think there's the Quidditch Cup, which is separate from the House Cup. Okay. Could be completely wrong about that. Okay. Please correct me if I am. I uh, mean, do we want to talk about the houses now? Oh, we can get to that in a bit. I have just a few more comments here. Um, the every flavor beans. Is there like a shit flavored bean? I mean, we're all thinking it, right? We, we're thinking of some other bodily fluids too. Like really every flavor? 
I uh, I do like Richard Harris's delivery of that oh, whole earwax. little scene. <laughs> that whole little scene because he's just like, I you know like on, on the occasion that I had whatever like diarrhea flavored bean in my youth, I, I swore these off, but I think I think it might be safe to have this now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's earwax, and he's just kind of like, yeah, this is what I expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fuck my life, kid. Fuck my life, and he just kind <laughs> of launches off. Yeah, and then because I mean, you have to remember, this is a time when like Harry's goddamn idol at the school was Hagrid. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't even want to. I don't want to think about the fan fiction of the every flavor beans. Yeah, I mean, it, I feel like, well, that, that's a whole other discussion. We'll save that for when the kids get older. Um, <laughs> so why can't Harry just stay at Hogwarts during the summer? Like, I know there's like a, it's revealed the books later on, there's like a protection spell at his house and he needs to stay there at least once, one day a year or something to keep it. Mm-hmm. But like Hogwarts seems to be pretty flush with cash. Like, or I don't think it's like a budgetary issue or anything. Like, it sure seems like that would be a cool place to chill during summer. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe get ahead on your studies. What is their Hogwarts summer school? Well, that's another one of my questions. Like, is there like, shouldn't there be like a wizarding night school for people like Hagrid? Yeah, it's I feel like it's a little unfair to be like, you fucked up when you were 13. So you're just like, that's it. No more education for you ever. Like, I think Hagrid could make the case of like, look, I was young, you know, I, you know, did something stupid. I don't think I should be doomed for the rest of my life not to be able to do magic because of that. Like, there should be some opportunity to, uh, you know, make amends for your your crimes and go to wizard night school obviously that's something that happens in the second movie but the i think the test of that moment is whether or not hagrid is ever self-possessed enough just to tell somebody (laughs) i don't think i should be punished for something of my youth that's true yeah and the fact i feel like dumbledore is just like you know he's never brought it up the idiot so (laughs) therefore we don't think he deserves the chance it (sighs) seems kind of mean I mean, Hagrid is a huge loser, so there is that. But well, you would, yeah. I mean, I think we debated before. Like, is he? Actually what would you a do in the wizarding world? Like, if you didn't get like cooked up by Dumbledore, like you're completely fucked. Well, what you would think since the 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 Ministry of Magic pays for these kids to mm-hmm. to be you know taught magic and be basically regulated, you would think that you would want to have. I mean, it's like a whole Marvel Civil War thing. You'd want to have these magicians registered. You'd want to know. What their power levels mm-hmm. were, what's going on there? Well, they register like the uh, the Animagises, I believe. So, yeah. Um, also, I want to know why Hogwarts is totally medieval and yet they have a train, like a yeah. steam engine train. Yeah. I, I guess there's no other conveyance that would get them to Hogwarts from London that would make any sense that is like older technology. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to see them like like flying in like a, a Spanish galleon, like in the sky or anything mm-hmm. like that. But, you know, it kind of makes sense only in that the only other fashion choice they go to beyond medieval and Victorian England is like vaguely steampunkish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess the train makes sense. I'm surprised the train doesn't fly now that I think about it, but <sighs> I mean, I guess it's just that kind of, old-fashioned you know a lot of the the stuff in the in the books is kind of like this very comforting old old-fashioned style mm. you know like trains you know kids like trains we'll put a train in there well i mean since we're talking about technology in, in that world like i talked about this before like the beginning of the the movie like dumbledore has that 
device that sucks the, the light. Yeah, it sucks the light out of the, the streetlights. Like, why does he have a device that does that? Like, is there not? A, is there not a spell? I mean, so there's this like other other than that train. There's like this sole piece of technology. Like, why aren't there other magical devices? He made the deluminator. He gives it to Laron later. Yeah. But I mean, like, this isn't something that gets like a like a way. I mean, the the wand can like generate light from its tip, as Hermione does in this mm-hmm. movie. It can also suck light in. Like, he does he have to make a device to do it? I have I no doubt know. that Ron needs help and needs a device for this kind of stuff. I'm sure Ron needs a lot of devices. But I mean, you would think Dumbledore could probably just wave his wand and make the lights go out. But yeah, I don't know. It just I, it just seems like from the very get go, here's this fancy like kind of steampunkish device I have. I have no other devices. It's just this one. Well, it is also possible this was J.K. Rowling's first novel. Uh, she may not have totally known where she was going to the Deluminator yet. I mean, maybe right. she did. I don't know. But it some of this stuff could just be, you know, still still world building for her too. It wasn't a one hundred percent, you know, set on where the story is going. World building wise, like, how do you feel about the the beginnings of the legend of of he who must not be named? Within the movie, yeah, within the movie, the slow motion drives me insane. Okay, uh, so let's let's move into just kind of our, our stray musings here because okay. I have many thoughts. But one of them is that Harry's parents look ten years too old; like yeah. they should have been like late twenties at most. Uh, instead, like their parents look like they're middle aged. Mm-hmm. They look like the they appear like as though they were still alive. Like that's how that's how they would look now. But like well, if they died, you know, like eleven years ago, they should look younger. That's what I was wondering too. Is it like a Sebastian Shaw or Hayden Christensen thing at the end of Return of the Jedi? Like, mm-hmm. is it is it interpretive memory? Yeah, I'm sure you can hand wave it. I don't know. I I, I was not a big fan of the casting of Harry's of Lily and James Potter. They seem too old and just kind of blah. But I thought it was maybe. interesting that J.K. Rowling turned down the cameos, Lily. That seems correct to me. I, I yeah. mean, especially if she knew that Lily was going to, you know, you're going to see more flashbacks of them later on. You wouldn't want to sign up for something like that. You'd want an actor to play that. Well, I think just in general, the author would know I'm not an actor. Well, I, I, I don't know. I feel like if, if Rowling were to be any character from the, uh, I mean, obviously, like Hermione is like kind of like a little bit her avatar, but I, I always personally felt like Rita Skeeter was like Rowling's kind of like joking version of herself. Okay, see that the the reporter. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would have been nice to see her maybe like in a cameo as like one of the nameless uh, teachers at the table at the uh, Last Supper yeah. table at the head of the cafeteria. <laughs> They're all just getting drunk on wine in front of the kids. <laughs> no food is being consumed up there. Uh, also, Those professors just get hammered every night. The, the spread that the kids consume on a daily basis. I mean, are they doing magical there's, workouts too? There's a frosh 15 happening there, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a Ron's lot. Ron's like double fisting uh, like drumsticks of chicken. <laughs> there's all these sausages and Jesus Christ. Uh, like the various holidays, it gets even worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so doesn't it seem like Harry's scar should have like two zags in it? Yeah. The, the lightning scar seems. I don't know. I feel like it should look more like lightning and not just like a little zig. Well, Rowling picked that shape because it was cool, she thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing I noticed, like when they're getting all the letters uh, from from Hogwarts at the beginning, uh, what's her face? Petunia there 
she, she she starts getting them inside of her eggs and so there's this like the the scene just goes on and on she like breaks an egg and she's like panicking and oh my god i have to unfold this uh piece of paper inside the egg completely and like oh yes it is another letter for harry mm-hmm. and she keeps doing it over and over again you think after like the third one you wouldn't need to unfold it to check like i think you know what it's gonna say but oh it's keeps... just it's just the the repetitive madness of it i mean like that, mm-hmm. that whole sequence because the dursleys are are fucking garbage people i mm-hmm. mean Dudley is a monster even before he gets a tail. I mean, he goes to a school called Smeltings. But like it becomes this like cacophonous, like rolled doll sequence that just is horrific. Like the whole the pounding the the piece of thing or whatever over the mail slot and Mm -hmm. and and Vernon is just Well see it's it's explained a little it's explained a little more in the books because obviously they Vernon and and Petunia there they know about the wizarding world a little bit they, right. you know they they are aware of what Hogwarts is and they they hate anything abnormal like that so his logic for nailing the uh the mail slot closed is he's like these wizards are like they're just fucking stupid like this is how they think like if they can't deliver the mail then they will stop sending it like he, he thinks that like in their like stupid logic this will make sense but obviously he's wrong wanted his like power to, to like go out because he didn't pay the bill in addition mm-hmm. to that also like their their vacation getaway spot <laughs> seems magical on its own like how the fuck do you get there yeah it's a pretty insane location for them to go to i mean that's that's an insane nightmare place too i like to see the airbnb listing for that <laughs> that weird nightmare island that they go mm-hmm. to <laughs> you know speaking of muggles doesn't it kind of seem like muggles a little bit of a slur yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's very like maybe in, in 2015. They're just like a uh, non-magical person is a preferred nomenclature. Please. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this was a, a, a valued item. Yeah. That magical flying carpet really tied the whole room together, dude. I feel like Harry learns a lot of really bad lessons at a young age, like like how to use magic for petty revenge, like. Uh-huh. getting away with all kinds of shit like you know you he, he's a privileged jock like he he he's supposed to get expelled for flying when he's not supposed to and then he gets made seeker instead yeah like hagrid like puts a tail on dursley there or dudley dursley um, it, well he does a lot of he learns a lot of like how to judge people and slightly mm-hmm. dehumanize them and i with the the dursleys you can make the argument it's like well they fucking made him like their slave and he lived <laughs> under the the I mean, they they treat that kid out of straight up spite. I'm surprised that we didn't get to see Vernon taking off the belt just to beat Harry at one point, even though they give him glasses, even though they're broken. But Harry seems pretty fucking cool throughout that first like half an hour. I mean, like, well, that is a tall ask for a young actor to be like appropriately communicate that you're more or less abused. Right, right. I mean, and and visually, the whole like. Uh, birthday cake and the dust it works on film i get the oh, sadness yeah. there it's his birthday <laughs> Sad whatever. bastard yeah yeah <laughs> i mean you could have played some balance of passion over that moment but yeah then then haggard like fucking kicks in the door he flops a cake at them and he gives his kid a, a tail and he's like fuck these people <laughs> let's go harry yeah. and didn't you say in the book they have to have, like surgically remove that tail yeah yeah they actually it's you know they they kind of cheat because Harry it's Harry's birthday uh-huh. and then they go get all his shit to Diagon Alley and then he goes to school immediately but like his school doesn't technically start for another month like he actually he's supposed to go home for a month and mm-hmm. so he has to ask them can you give me a ride to London 
you know, and they, they barely talk to him at that point. And they agree to, uh, Vernon does mostly because they need to take Dudley in to get his tail removed. So he's like, we wouldn't, you know, I'm only doing this because I was already going there, basically. Uh, but yeah, they kind of cheat. And you, you might think that school starts on August 1st if you watch this movie. I don't know if you saw that, like, some somebody, like, recut scenes from the movie to, like, this trailer where, like, Harry's the villain. Like, this, like, like I saw that stuff. I didn't watch it. I, I saw that that was out there. To a certain extent, like, I feel like Harry should have, like, I think he uses it. Like you said, Petty Revenge later on in this mm-hmm. series. Like, he kind of uses his influence to to scare people. The implications of of crossing me would be unwise. <laughs> it's like, I would I would have been like, I think you will give me a ride. Otherwise, you'll be removing more than just the tail. Plus, it's not like they would have made a great Slytherin. It's not like that's the only tail that's probably at Smeltings, which <laughs> sounds like the most horrific school ever. Uh, but oh, in the God, movies, those it, fucking hats, the boaters. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense, I think, for his birthday to be like right before the school year in the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think about Ollivander? I, I felt like he was all wrong. I mean, obviously, I'm comparing this to the book, which you haven't read. But what, what did you think of his character? Oh, well, in general, I love I love John Hurt. Hmm, okay. I, I I I love him just about everything he's done. Um, his Caligula is amazing. Um, it's it's a lot of speechifying to this eleven year old kid who just doesn't I don't think fully get. I guess I felt like he was a little too cartoonish and over the top. Like that works for Snape, but Ollivander like because I just reread that scene again. And I I just I don't know. Maybe it's just my my personal interpretation of the character, but I, I didn't feel like he was right for it. Like he he just seemed off. You know, that's, I can tell you that that's a note that Chris Columbus did not give John Hurt. <laughs> I don't think John Hurt got any notes. No. I, it really feels like all the old actors in this were like, they're like, you guys are professionals. I'm going to be busy just trying to get these kids to like hit their marks. Oh, I'm sure that you're just seeing like the, uh, uh, the little bit of each take that could possibly be used of these kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, and they grow up to be fine actors. Yeah. Especially Emma Watson, which we cannot say enough nice things about. But yeah, like, but then again, you know, as, as this podcast proceeds on, like, there's a great collection of British actors in this series. And I, it also makes me think of like the British actors who, who belonged in here some way. Mm-hmm. So, um, um I, I have a comment in here about the point system and how ingenious it is. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I had to wonder, is that something that they do at British boarding schools or did, did Rowling come up with that on her own? Because it's absolutely brilliant and it works throughout the whole series. Mm. Um, but since we're talking about the houses, I think we should discuss what house we would be in. Go for it. Um, so we, we both went and did the Pottermore, you know, uh, sorting. Uh, by the way, did you do your um, your wand as well? Did you get that? Uh, let's see. I took a screen cap. Let me see. I thought I got a wand, but I don't remember now. It is like oh, a week ago. Your wand. Uh, no, I just took a screen cap of the thing where uh, where it placed me. Okay. Well, I, I can tell you my wand is Hawthorne mm-hmm. with Dragon Core, twelve and three quarters inches, unyielding. Pretty long wand. Whoa! Whoa! I feel like I'm compensating for something there. Yeah. Um, you got, you got but the out. what did we get sorted in? Um, I I should say I thought I would be sorted in Ravenclaw, and I I think that. If you were to take seven seventh grade like eleven year old me and sort them, that person would end up in Ravenclaw. I mean, I was that's who I was. I was a smart kid when I was that age. Was, but I took this test now and I got sorted into Slytherin. So, so fitting in a sense. 
Apparently. Other people seem to think it's fitting. I don't know how I feel about that. I, I feel like I should have been in Ravenclaw. That that was definitely my identity. I was I was a smart kid. There's like in seventh grade, there's never like a classroom I'd walk into or wasn't the smartest kid in there. Perhaps the fact that you covet that position so much is why you're in Slytherin. My father would heal of this. <laughs> I ended up in Gryffindor, which Yeah. Okay. Did you think that's where you would end up? I really had no I uh, I kind of thought that I would probably end up in Slytherin. Hmm. Okay. I, I thought, thought you'd end up in Hufflepuff. Uh, you see, Hufflepuff is where I would have put you, but um, <laughs> the 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 thing on the website we're is, just casually throwing shade at each other. Yeah, the thing on the website is pretty oblique. You know, it's like, would you would you prefer to walk along the beach or go through the woods or up to the castle? I mean, it's 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 almost nonsensical in a way. Um, well, I think they I, were really trying to obfuscate what your choices would mean mm-hmm. you know because there's we'll, we'll maybe find some of the buzzy ones to do for the next podcast but there's there's quizzes you can do where it's very obvious that like you know it's like what's your favorite color green well obviously that's for slytherin like stuff right. like that you know so i think they wanted to make it so that you couldn't cheat yeah yeah uh- <laughs> so you're you're brave and bold huh seemingly um but it's funny because, like, you know, we talk about there is a subtle aspect in the series of your choice. It's taken into account. And so I kind of was surprised the website doesn't be like, hey, where would you like to end up? You they, know? they can't like, ask you that, though. But you're like, oh, that I would just know. short circuit the whole process. I want to be in Ravenclaw. And then it's just like wrong. And <laughs> <laughs> the movie. So I know you talked about in the book, the sorting hat comes completely over your head and you have this kind of private dialogue with the sorting hat. Like, no, it's Slytherin. Yeah. I, I, most, most of the time the, the sorting hat goes on your head and like pretty very quickly announces like, you know what you are, but yeah, well, Harry got a little conversation. The, the, the Draco sequence in the, in the movie mm-hmm. works perfectly because it barely touches his head. But like in the movie with the creative license taken there, there is no privacy with your internal like dialogue. Like, Mm-hmm. That that sorting hat is barking your your conflicted feelings to the entire class, which I feel like you know some parents might sue over that. Really, like what, like Malfoy's parents? Yeah, <laughs> so apparently Slytherins are the only one who complain about these things to their mm-hmm. to their parents. Maybe the Slytherins are the most progressive. I don't know. They're like getting some real education reform into the the wizarding world. I guess I guess I'm Slytherin. I'm, I'm cunning, arrogant, and evil. I mean, it's like basically the house for evil people. Who? So the end. You want to cut up at the ending a little bit with the whole house cup? Oh, that's just some bullshit. I, I would. I would be so fucking you know as a Slytherin and outraged. That's some bullshit favoritism. Like obviously rigged. Everybody knows Dumbledore is a Gryffindor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and and you know, so up until J.K. Rowling gave her backstory, I always assumed that. Uh, Dumbledore and McGonagall had a thing on the side. Really? I I, I never maybe maybe long ago. Or maybe she was harboring a crush. I don't know. Mm. But yeah, I mean it's some real bullshit. The house cup has essentially been awarded to Slytherin. And then Dumbledore's like, let me fuck with that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Only let me really got, drag it out. Yeah. Yeah, let me drag it out like this is a goddamn reality TV show. <laughs> um but I mean, granted, these kids did arguably possibly save the world. I don't know. Yeah. But Slytherins, like, they're just like, from an academic standpoint, we went to class. We got there on time. We showed up on time. We studied. We worked hard. Hey, fuck us, right? 
Yeah. Oh, sorry for following the rules, not yeah. breaking them constantly. But then again, you could also make the argument that the the emotion that the Slytherin kids most want to feel is outrage. Yeah. So maybe he gave them exactly what, they, like a house couple. They're like the Oakland Raiders. Yeah. Yeah. They just want to, they well, want confirmation uh, that they're being screwed. That Flint kid who's like the captain of their Quidditch team. Oh, that guy's got some English teeth. He is going to have like some kind of like frat rape, like scandal in a few years. Yeah. Yeah. That guy's going to ask a band eventually. But he, he's never heard the word no before. Well, you know, you're talking about Dumbledore and McGonagall. I could totally read a whole retelling of Harry Potter from the teacher's perspectives. Because um, whenever I read the books, like, I just find myself fascinated anytime we get scenes with the adults interacting with each other, mm-hmm. especially if they don't think the kids are present. Like, you know, if like Harry's like hiding under his uh, cloak or something like that. Or like there, there are these moments when you get to see the adults be adults. That it's always like a thrill for me when they call each other by their first names and uh-huh. they seem like totally different people. I think Rowling does a really good job of telling it from Harry's perspective and yet giving giving it, they don't seem cartoonish at the same time. You know? Like, oh, I'd I'd love to be like on the faculty there. I think mm-hmm. I think a novel set like like a little bit. It's a little bit. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Like, but with just like the general faculty yeah. of of hogwarts would be amazing i think it's kind of a shame that you don't really see that till uh um what's his name who's in cloud atlas when he comes in later on in the series like like movie five or six um where he has like the kids over for like special dinners or whatever it's like oh slughorn yeah slughorn i'd love to see just more of like like it seems like every conversation you're having with adults is being listened on listened mm-hmm. to by somebody oh i love that i love that snape moment though where harry has the uh the cloak on and oh like, yeah, Snape, like the kind of just the hand grab into the <laughs> into the vacuum. Yeah. Well, it's funny because it's it's all kind of from Harry's perspective, and so the adults often seem very kind of cartoonish. But there is like they they never get sold out. I feel like by the the story, like they they always you know they don't seem like complete idiots. I mean, Quirrell maybe, but they well, they seem like like real human adults. Well, so like. They've built up this whole system to protect the Philosopher's Stone, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the kids still have to save the day. And true, they have true. to do it with the handicap of not being told anything because they're kids. And the hand-waviness of, like, we needed you to build your own character or whatever. Like, I'm kind of amazed that Zumbledore doesn't ride in and save the day more often since he is, like, the greatest fucking wizard of all time. Yeah, I mean, some of that I think is just, like, you're telling a story here. You can't just have Dumbledore show up and fix everything constantly. Yeah, but, I mean, it's, like, these these conglomeration of adults, like, when they come together, like, they let a lot of things get past them. Yeah, especially Madame Hooch. Yeah, especially Madame Hooch with her yellow eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, she doesn't even get called Professor Hooch. <laughs> she gets called Madame Hooch. Well, she's just like a coach. Like, does she just get like a stipend no, she for that? Teaches, she teaches the uh, the broom riding class. And rather, is that like an is that an actual class or is that like something they do on the weekend? It's basically is I, it I, like I PE it, teacher. Basically, I, I took it to be she's a PE teacher, but this teacher is probably explained more in the books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked that the magical like learnings there begins with up, <laughs> up. <laughs> if you can't get that down, like we're on, like you're just generally fucked. Up. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Ron, um, 
We haven't taken a shit on Ron in like a half an hour. So they've been a dick to Hermione and she ran off crying and then the troll shows up. Harry is conscientious enough to remember, oh, Hermione's in the bathroom. We need to go, you know, like he, he's going to go help her out. Which is great. She's on his mind. He should have like three hours earlier in the day been like, hey, Ron, take it down a notch. Yeah. But but Ron could care less. Like Harry has to be the one to be like, hey, remember Hermione? Like we, you know, got to go be bros here. Uh, I mean, I fuck it. You know, I'm a Harry Hermione shipper, I guess. I mean, I'm not. I mean, I like Harry Ginny. I'm fine with that. But like Ron Hermione, just uh, I don't know, man. I I see it from Hermione's side. It's obviously she's, she's all obvious that she's always liked him. But Ron is just such a tool. Like it, it's hard to root for it from that angle. Harry and Hermione, like. I guess it, it it makes so much sense that it doesn't make sense. It's like, well, obviously they're just friends. Well, it's not like he grows into be this kind of dynamic Han Solo esque like figure, you know, where he just mm-hmm. makes a huge splash or anything. No, Ron is basically like Scarlet Ruin upon that girl's life. <laughs> like, just imagine their parenting styles. Well, it's and- it's like the King of Queens is basically, I think, what you're expecting of their life. You know, <laughs> like he's just like the kind of dumb, goofy, you know, like fuck up, and she's the one who handles everything. I mean, uh, Harry Hermione doesn't totally make sense because Harry Ginny, that actually makes a ton of sense, uh, even though they don't do a very good job of it in the movies. But Ron and Hermione. I can't wait to dive into the moment in which Ron is presented with the magical smoke in the shape of Harry and Hermione fucking. Oh, I can't. I can't wait to get to that moment. Yeah. Um, That's like that's like David Heyman just being like, finally. I wonder if J.K. Rowling knew at the time that having different colors for each of the houses was like merchandising genius. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, and it's brilliant. I think at the time that she was writing this, she was thinking, how am I going to pay rent? Probably, yeah. (laughs) But I mean, there's so much about this. It's like, it's no wonder it became such a huge success because it's, it's perfectly situated to be a phenomenon. You know, I mean, the, the books, like I said, they're they're extremely heartwarming to read, but you just want to live in this world. And Oh, yeah, yeah. The fact that there's like a Hogwarts land, you know, akin to like Disneyland is mm-hmm. brilliant. Sadly, it's only limited by by being in Florida. Well, just the the, the, the low ceiling of human imagination and also mm-hmm. the rules of reality. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't know how these assholes who get together and play like real life Quidditch I don't know what that looks like, but it just sounds like they just run around with brooms between their legs. It's really, it just sounds like really boring rug. Well, how does the golden snitch work? Is it a person? It's a person. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Just have everyone dogpile that person. (laughs) So you're you're talking earlier about uh, your one of your favorite moments is them going into the dark forest. Yeah. Well, as as a setup though, it's it's a great setup. Well, I know we're going we're gonna to get into the centaur here. The rest of the podcast will be centaur questions. But, like, <laughs> it's a great setup. Anytime that you can establish you have your cartoonish, sneering, bleach blonde villain who then has to work with the heroes in some way. Well, like, I just have to say, it's, it's awfully convenient that, like, you got caught sneaking out at night. Your punishment is to go out into the woods at night with your, like, best bro, Hagrid. Well, yeah. You, it's like, man, that's got, rough. You got punished for hanging out with this kid, with this guy. Yeah. Yeah, so now you're going to go spend time. Oh, and... We haven't even gotten to Filch and how much he looks. Like, the only person he can look down on in the world is Hagrid. <laughs> Think about that, yeah. Which is, yeah, that's kind of sad. But yeah, uh, Firens, I'm not sure how you pronounce that centaur's name. That dude just shows up and he is up on all of the shit. Yeah. Like, he knows everything. Yeah. 
He knows about the philosopher's stone. He knows like it's like what you live in the woods. You're a, a centaur. How do you know all this? Like this is supposed to be a big secret. Did Dumbledore I, tell him? Yeah, or it's just did, like hi, I'm here to dump some exposition later. Or did Hagrid tell him and like yeah, you know by by accident? Well, plus you're missing that moment where before he rides off again, Ron's like. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Centaur, I have one question about everything you just told us. And the centaur's like, what, you ginger nerd? Mm-hmm. And he's like, can I ride you? <laughs> well, it's supposed to be like a, a big offense. In the books, Harry does get does get a ride, I think, but the other centaurs show up and they're like outraged by this because they're very prideful creatures. And like Firenze is the only one who's like cool with the humans. I mean, there's a whole thing. There are so many plot lines from the book. I'm glad they cut for the movie. Like the whole dragon thing. Uh, uh, we'll we'll get to that in a sec as uh, we get to the source material. But I just have to say, raw deal for Nicholas Flamel. Yeah, yeah. Raw deal. Sorry, bro. You got to die now. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and uh, wrap up your affairs? Well, like in in, I guess it, how much time is that to wrap up your affairs? Is he's like, okay, Dumbledore, since we're buds, and I understand that that Voldemort's like evil. He's so evil we can't even say his name. Oops. I will. I will just take enough to wrap up my affairs. By the way, I need a thousand years to do that. <laughs> yeah, raw deal. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's talk a little bit about the source material. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting in the books. When Ron goes to sit down with Harry, like, cause in the movie, it's just like, hey, you know, all the other cars are full. Can I sit here? He, he does that in the books too, but he knows who Harry is already. And so that is a little bit of like Ron being brave there. He's, he's bold enough to know, like, he wants to go, he wants to go talk to Harry Potter. And right. so he goes and, and makes up an excuse to sit down and kind of like broach the subject. Whereas in, in the movie here, it, it just seems like it's like dumb luck that he sat next to him. Weird happenstance, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and Harry spends a small fortune to buy that candy cart. Yes, I will get to that in a bit. Um, well, uh, so what about like like Draco? Like he he extends the olive branch for a brief moment to Harry there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's your classic moment where the the bully tries to be friends with the new guy, and the new guy is just like, "No thanks." I don't like your bullying ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, Buffy has that with Cordelia. Like that's a Mean Girls yeah. thing. I mean, yeah, that's a that's a classic trope. Is that is that a is that a Joseph Campbell thing? Is that related to the denial of the call? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, denial of the bro down. We get no song from the Sorting Hat, and in the books, the Sorting Hat sings a song each year, and it's always a different song about what the different houses are. Um, I I could see how that would be goofy in a movie, but. Yeah. You don't ever, like, they never really explain much about the houses. Like, if you were just watching this movie, I don't think you would know that Gryffindor is for, like, the bold and the brave and that Hufflepuff is for, like, the losers. Mm. Like, did did you have any impression of that watching this movie? Uh, No, not necessarily. And I think that that could have been... I mean, it wasn't even totally clear in the movie that, like, McGonagall was the head of... Mm-hmm. The Gryffindor house, like the Snape's ahead of uh, Slytherin. Yeah. Well, they they specifically mentioned Snape's ahead. I honestly thought it was Hagrid was the head of the Gryffindor house because he's actually <laughs> sitting with those kids, you know. Um, but in McGon- like McGonagall, that's why I thought it was a much more interesting moment that she bought Harry the Nimbus two thousand, mm-hmm. um, because like it was such a secret she couldn't do. Even that. though I think- the kids are not supposed to have, uh broomsticks first years aren't supposed to have broomsticks and yet harry gets like a super awesome one 
Right, right. Like, I would think, though, just as the head of the Gryffindor team, basically, that would be an okay gift, you know? She wouldn't mm-hmm. have to, like, giggle, like, hee, 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 Also, oh, the, mail, I... the mail is terrifying in the movie. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like, are they just getting, like, a bunch of owl shit dropping in their food? <laughs> well, there's, and then one of those scenes, there's a girl who looks like she's flailing for her life as the package, like, flies right past her. <laughs> Did I? I can't remember if I mentioned this yet on the podcast. Maybe I'm repeating myself. But how come Ron gets to bring a rat? That wasn't on the list. That's a good question. Frogs, cats, owls, no rats. Does he get like a like a Weasley compensation? Maybe. Yeah. Like the Weasleys, they don't have to try as hard because, well, they're Weasleys. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. One thing I noticed is that the the mystery is. That, just do the demands the film narrative it's a lot less subtle here there's a lot more like here's to connect the dots like the books it's all kind of like there's all these kind of unexplained events throughout the novel and then the end dumbledore shows up to explain everything mm-hmm. you can't really do that as much in a movie right uh let's see yeah, one thing I think they did, I, I don't know how you exactly you'd show this in a movie as opposed to the book, but the uh, getting presents at Christmas really means a ton to Harry because the Dursleys never gave him any. Uh, and I don't know if you really pick that up if you're just watching the movie. Like, wh- what did you think of that? No, I never, I never really got that considering that, you know, considering how shitty his living situation with the Dursleys is and like Dudley, mm-hmm. like just bouncing up and down on that fucking step and everything it looks like he's you know again been to an eye doctor you know he's mm-hmm. got clothes he's generally clean even though like he's cooking their food and stuff when he gets the presents here it's kind of like oh cool presents but it doesn't I, I don't feel that kind of like inner joy like i don't i don't know if you make that connection the way you do i mean obviously it's 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 easier much easier to get inside the head of a character in a book than a movie but i guess he's just purposely trying not to be as vile about his presence as mm-hmm. as dudley i mean ron seems much more you know pleased to get presence than than harry did. is there a lot of like resonance in the second one in the second book with like like the whole dobby thing and like getting stuff and harry because harry's fucking, never got anything? fucking dobby i'm not a fan of dobby but we'll, we'll save that for the next podcast um yeah that dragon plot line god that that would just seems interminable in the books like that that was what like I'll, I'll be honest I'm not a fan of Hagrid really uh, especially as time goes on and him being so stupid about the dragon is I think the kind of the genesis of me starting to dislike Hagrid mm-hmm. because it's just like dude I get that you like animals but come on you know I mean even I feel like even by the end like Hermione like by this book like six or seven she is out on Hagrid uh, it's like they're really just trying to be nice aren't they after like the third one. Yeah, I mean, I mean I, sooner or later you get older and you're like, wait a minute, this guy who I thought was really cool when I was 11 is kind of a loser. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like I, I want them to like do a memory sequence in later movies where they play back scenes from the first few movies, but like Hagrid's like got like a flask in every scene. <laughs> well, he is. I mean, they in the books, it's like it's mentioned that he's kind of a drunk. Yeah. Well, I mean, he he met that dude down at the pub who gave him the mm-hmm. dragon's egg <laughs> when he was drunk. Yeah, uh, uh, like the Hogsmeade town. Like, who lives there? Like, who lives there? Like, I mean, just I guess... people who run the pub and the train station. Well, it's established that there are like three or four times a year that they get to go visit Hogsmeade, mm-hmm. and so obviously they get some business from that. 
but that's not nearly enough to like keep the town running. So yeah, there's is there just is there like just a like townies basically like is a there support a hearty staff. contingent of uh, like prostitutes for like the later year students? You think Snape's just like every night he's going out? Yeah, going out in the town, going to like the saloon. Rod Stewart like coming of age songs about. I mean, you can get drunk at Magical Girl for Heart of Gold. You can get drunk at in Hogwarts at the dinner table every night, but maybe maybe you're looking for a little some adult conversation. Can't get that around all those kids. You got to go to the pub for a satchel of gold coins. I want you to just hold me. <laughs> that should move us right into our, uh, our power rankings for the characters here. Uh, obviously, for me, Snape is number one. Is yours any different? It's Emma Watson. We took Emma Watson. You got to do the character. <laughs> it's it's Hermione. It's Hermione is based solely on the look that she gives Ron when he's like, "That's light reading," and yeah. she just looks at him, just like, "Fuck you! You're <laughs> every man in my life. You go to fucking hell." I do love the way she slams the book down on the table. Like, she she does a very good job, and this is probably not easy to do with a young actor, but she does a good job of seeming kind of oblivious mm-hmm. to the others. You know, like she carries that very well. Or she just That's like so throws this big ass book down. And they're like shocked, and she just kind of like starts going on and on. This is the only thing I'm going to say about the physical attributes of these children. Daniel Radcliffe has an amazing bitch face at a young age, but mm-hmm. but Emma Watson's Emma Watson's hair is really interesting in this movie. It changes uh, significantly when because she's supposed to be like bushy haired Hermione in the books, but it changes significantly in the third movie. She ha- yeah she has yeah she has an interesting. Kind of an '80s fringe, like it's almost like mm-hmm. '80s music video hair. <laughs> well, let me let me get back to Snape because okay. Hermione's your number one. Snape's my number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he may not be in the movie much, but every time he shows up, he's amazing. Like just the scene where he comes to do like a reverse jinx on Harry before the Quidditch match. Uh-huh. It's just like good luck, Potter. Uh, sorry, I can't do the voice like you, but like just it, it's like Harry's like, what the fuck's going on? Like, why is this guy being nice to me? And then he just like stares at Harry for a while and like. Yeah. It's like clearly like putting the whammy on him. Uh, yeah. I love Snape. It's he's like Alan Rickman. He's he's so thirsty for scenery. He just wants to devour it all every yeah. time he's on screen. Yeah, and and you let him do it. I, uh, Snape is my number two. Okay, yeah, and I, I was curious because I never paid attention to the fandom at the time. Like I was like, I wonder what people think about Snape. Like I think he's great. Do other people think that? Uh, and so I asked on Twitter, and yeah, it sounds like everybody is like, yeah, Snape. Alan Rickman is perfect, like completely nailed it. I don't think other people though were taking into account of judging Snape solely based on the first movie. True, but I mean, I feel like Snape is incredibly consistent throughout the movies. Like oh, Alan yeah. Rickman just is Snape. Like, well, when he gets to do so much more, like in the later movies, even before you get to like movie was it six? Is it a big mm-hmm. one? Yeah, even yeah. before then, like. He gets to do a lot more interesting stuff. Well, and he's he's a great antagonist. Like he's so unfair to them. You know, he's so mean to Harry. And from Harry's perspective, you totally see why Harry could never like truly understand where Snape is coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Alan Rickman's having so much fun playing it that you can't hate him as a as a viewer. He's just too much fun. Well, yeah, he hates this kid. But there's times when he looks at Harry where. You could whisper in somebody's ear that he's actually in love with him. <laughs> and it, it plays. <laughs> well, it's like, I, I wonder what would happen if Harry ever made an attempt to get Snape to like him. Like, is would that be possible? Or it was just like, this is never going to happen. 
so my number three is Harry. Okay. Uh, and the the one thing I really like, there's a, a subtle moment with Harry uh, after during the the kind of Christmas stuff because he he gets Ron gets his uh, sweater from his mom and doesn't give a shit about it, and Harry gets one too. And it's it's very subtle. Later on, you see that after he goes and looks in the mirror, Vera said, and you know sees his parents and whatnot. There, it's like dinner, you know, Yuletide dinner. There, he's got the sweater on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that they didn't call attention to that. It's very subtle. It's I mean, it's clear from the beginning that like Harry wants to be a Weasley, basically. Like he wants right. that family, and I I like that they included him wearing the sweater and didn't say anything about it, and you can just kind of infer what that means to Harry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, uh, just because her work in such uh, contrast to like say like John Hurt's is mm-hmm. McGonagall. Yeah, McGonagall's my number four. I mean, half of it is her look in this. She just has that school marm witch mm-hmm. thing. I mean, her look is ridiculous, but you 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 get past it really quickly because she just plays McGonagall. Like Max plays McGonagall so good. Well, she just seems immediately like, real. Like you're just like, of course that's McGonagall. You know, it's like perfect realization of the character from the book. She's stern but also likable in equal measure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always like it when McGonagall calls the other teachers by their first names, like Severus. Yeah, yeah. After that, um, just because of of real estate in the film, it's Hagrid. Okay, I had Dumbledore. Uh, what do you feel about Hagrid? Just because he's he plays the lovable dope i mean i guess i could see where we're kids who are the same age as the care as like the main mm-hmm. three in this movie i could see where they fucking love hagrid well but right dope. now in the narrative like if you're only basing on this movie hagrid seems like a pretty cool dude yeah yeah he's yeah. he's all heart he's he's earnest as shit yeah mm-hmm. um after that well let me talk a little about dumbledore here okay. um obviously he he can't be around too much because he's too powerful but I mean, I, I'm not a fan of the portrayal, but I like the character. Uh, I mean, his talk with Harry about the mirror of Irised, his talk with Harry at the end, where he kind of like humble brags about like his idea of hiding the Sorcerer's Stone. Like, yeah, Dumbledore yeah. is a great character, and you don't get a ton of him in this movie, but you got to give him some credit. I would, I'm surprised that like in interviews or stuff, they don't have Michael Gambon like just take on a few of those lines to see how mm-hmm. to play it, you know, with respect to Richard Harris's, uh, or Jared Harris would have been interesting in this, this movie series somewhere. That would have been, hmm, been wow. bizarre. Yeah. That would have been bizarre. Um, Jared Harris, who should have been great as Moriarty and was, mm-hmm. not. <laughs> um, go ahead and blink guy Ritchie on that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to blame guy Ritchie for a lot of things in life. Um, yeah, I mean Dumbledore is great. He starts off the movie or starts off the series basically already as the Obi Wan hologram. You mm-hmm. know, well, who who did you have after Hagrid? Was it Dumbledore or someone else? I had Rupert Grint's gif of a face because okay, he, so he he does, Ron. Yeah, he really sells the mood in the background of a lot of scenes. Like this, the stuff in the potion scene where he's like sitting next to like Susan Bones and he has no dialogue as as statement mm-hmm. just going after Harry Harry who was taking notes on class. And it's like it's the one and only time Harry's a good student in the yeah, entire yeah, franchise. Yeah, exactly. And like uh, uh, Ron is just doing all this, like, oh shit, like looks on his face. I, I think he could make the argument that in as of this movie, Rupert Grint is the best of the child actors. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. He's the most expressive for sure, which is funny because he's doing so much of his face. Mm-hmm. And yet his audition was him rapping about the character, <laughs> which sounds, I'm going to be honest with you, god awful. Uh, yeah, that sounds child hilarious. rapping, a British child. Well, I put Fred and George together above Ron just because I'm a Ron hater. Um, they don't have much to do, but I like Fred and George. They always they it, always work for me. It just seems weird seeing twins. <laughs> it mm-hmm. seems like a magical effect. Um, my six and seven, I'm going to group together because number six is Ian Hart's classically British overacting. Which oh, I Quirrell? Like, yeah, I feel like... I got uh, that dude last. Uh, I feel like because like the ending, he's really done a disservice of like certain moments of him should have been allowed to breathe more. He's just having to rush it and scream and all that stuff. Seven is John Hurt's classically British like overacting. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I didn't rank John Hurt. Um, I had basically had Fred and George, then Ron, then Malfoy, then Quirrell. Okay, uh, Malfoy. I just hate the the character. He's such a little bitch. Uh-huh. But I mean, was it Tom Felton? He's he's perfect for the part. Like, oh yeah, yeah. That's like, yep, that's Malfoy, like that kind of like drawling, slow voice that he has. It's like exactly as he's described in the books. Um, he's just, you want to punch him. Well, Tom he's, Felton, such, he's such a, ah, I gotta hate him. Just thinking about him. He will always play Malfoy, too. I mean, look yeah. at that, that Planet of the Apes movie he did. Mm-hmm. He will always play Malfoy. Uh, my number eight ranking is just the mystery. But I think from the kid's perspective, they do a good job of, of this, I mean, I've never read J.K. Rowling's like her mystery novels that she's doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, I combining the previous idea, I would love for her to do uh, a novel about the professors that's basically like an Agatha Christie, like tea cozy murder mystery set over the course of the year. Because I always figured that's what she was going to go do after these these books was go yeah. write, like basically like like neo Agatha Christie novels, which I think she'd be amazing at. I, I was surprised when the uh, the unexpected vacancy or whatever it's called casual vacancy i was surprised when it wasn't more of a mystery hmm. yeah i, really I never read it, it would be. i really figured it would be uh, all right well do you have anyone else on your list that's that's all i had for mine oh dan Radcliffe is like my number 10 um number you gotta, nine you gotta just do characters you can't do actors too number nine is the centaur dude <laughs> just because okay. he shows up and as, as ridiculous as i find him he has a lot of presence and in fact, he just shows up and announces that, like, I know a lot more than the rest of you, and I'm out. Peace. Yeah. Ghosted. Uh, so before we wrap up, I figured because this podcast is called Headcanon, perhaps I should introduce them. Okay. Uh, I have a theory about the economics uh, of the wizarding world that I would like to introduce. Okay. Uh, but that's all kind of a an explanation for why I think that the Philosopher's Stone, this is my theory, was never actually destroyed. Hmm. Because when you think about it, like really, like that raw deal Nicholas Flamel's getting, I feel like they just told Harry that, um, and I'll, I'll get to that why. So so here, here's my explanation for this. Um, the Philosopher's Stone has two qualities. The movie focuses on the internal life part of it. Mm-hmm. The other thing that the Philosopher's Stone does is it trans- transmutates base metals into gold. Right. And I was thinking about the gold they use in this movie and how that's like the wizard economy is based on it. And as we all know, basing a currency on gold is like just some medieval shit. Like, that's no way to run a real economy. Oh, shit. You're about to go Paul Krugman on us here, aren't you? Oh, yeah. So... I mean, if you, you can't run an economy de- like where your growth depends on how fast you can dig up metal out of the ground, 
but if you had a philosopher's stone that could make gold, mm-hmm. now you can regulate the supply of your currency. And this philosopher's stone is stored at Gringotts, which is basically like their fed. Mm. So doesn't it kind of make sense that the philosopher's stone is basically how they control the supply of money and that it's at Gringotts because that's the goblins use it? Wouldn't that make, beyond the fact that he has the lasting power, Nicholas Flamel like the most powerful man in the world? Like, wouldn't he basically be the Koch brothers? No, he'd be more like the... Warren uh, Buffett? Jeanette, is it Jeanette Yellen? Is that her name? Fed chairwoman. Oh well, I mean, I, I guess. I mean, just, just. So I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. He has to be one the of head the, of their, their the Green Got Goblins might handle that. I don't know. Well, because I was wondering before, like, are they just mining gold somewhere magically, or uh, are they just making it as needed to keep the economy growing? Hmm. So I, I went and took a look because I thought, well, what if you took the production of gold away from Green Gods for a year? There should be some sort of reflection in the economy, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there happened to be a big dip in the real GDP of the United Kingdom in 1991 when this story takes place. Mm. And it went back up right about the time that the stone was supposedly destroyed, but probably just sent back to Green Gods. Okay. Well, what if, what if, what if that's half true? What if Nicholas Fumel, you know, just lost the stone and like Dumbledore then made a side deal with the Gringotts, like trolls, to thus like further secure additional funding for Dumbledore for for Hogwarts. Well, I feel like this could also explain why gold seems so devalued in the Wizarding world because it really does. Because so I actually because it's a child spending it all willy nilly. Oh, I checked the prices in the books. Um, so there's the gold galleons, mm-hmm. and then there are silver sickles, which uh, it's seventeen sickles to a galleon, and then there are bronze nuts, and it's twenty nine nuts to a sickle. <laughs> so you can you can do some math. Um, you find out that he he pays uh, eleven sickles and like nine nuts for all the candy that he gets. And so even if you're saying like he bought like thirty dollars worth of candy, maybe it's, it was even by that much. Mm-hmm. You know, like let's say that was thirty dollars worth. That would make a galleon maybe like fifty dollars. If you do the math, it's like two thirds of a gallon. Gallon is what he spent. So maybe a gold galleon is like $50 in, you know, U.S. money. Uh, an ounce of gold at the time was $350 U.S. So obviously the gold value is way deflated in the wizarding world as opposed to the regular world. So that would only make sense if there's a lot of it and there would be a lot of it because they can make it. In short, in your fucking face, Austrian economics. Yeah. That's this my is theory. Really embarrassing, but I am a few nuts short of what I owe you, and I am just going to turn into a bat and fly away. Yes. Sorry. That that is my theory, is that uh, the Philosopher's Stone is not destroyed, it was sent back to Green Gods to continue creating gold to run the wizarding economy. <laughs> So maybe Nicholas Flamel is basically uh, Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> Taking all that money. Causing a depression yeah. in the UK because they, they took the Philosopher's Stone away. Yeah, yeah. The old savings alone. All right. Well, I think we are about done. Do you have any final thoughts? Uh, no, I think we've covered it. <laughs> all right. Well, my goal is to get you to read one of these books besides the last one. Okay. So. Maybe over the course of us doing these, you can read that. Uh, We'll be back next time to talk about Chamber Secrets, obviously. 
That one's going to be tough. Uh, I have the extended version of that. Is that the one you have, too? Uh, not yet, but it will be. It's like almost three hours long. It's really fucking long. And I feel like the first hour and a half of that is bullshit. I mean, as I recall, it was like, yep, we're putting everything in there. That's what I recall from watching it the first time. So that that's going to be a tough watch. It'll be interesting for me because I've it's it's the one that I've only seen maybe one and a half times. Mm-hmm. Oh, one more thing on my theory. Um, the reason they tell Harry that they destroyed the the, uh, the stone is because maybe Dumbledore already suspects of Harry's like link to Voldemort, uh-huh. and so he lies to him about it because he he wants to think he wants Voldemort to think that it's destroyed as well. There you go. Yeah, so there you go. Prove me wrong, Harry Potter fans. Uh-huh. All right, well, we'll be back next time. Until then, bye.